Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is the host of the multi-award-winning Zestful Aging Podcast, an interview show heard in 104 countries. She is also the author of Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer. Nicole's guests are change makers from various disciplines. Filmmakers, writers, advocates, poets, musicians, scientists, athletes, and entrepreneurs, many of whom are top experts in their fields. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Nicole Christina. Hello. So nice to be with you. Nicole, interviewing a master podcaster should make me nervous, but I'm just going <laughs> to chat with you like we're old friends because yep. this is an author's, not a podcaster's interview. You can give me a grade later. <laughs> I, I would not do that, um, but we can certainly talk about some of the skills that are helpful if people are considering podcasting. Well, our opening question on authors over 50 is always, what took you so long to write your first book? Well, I'm going to probably have a little bit of a different uh, answer than some of your authors who may have always wanted to write. I, I've always loved writing and I've done blogging and written for different publications, but um, I am a, a, still a full-time psychotherapist and I do my podcast. So I, it's not like I was thinking, when am I going to write my book? I was thinking, when am I going to go to the grocery store and get dinner on the table? I wasn't really thinking of a book. Um, but uh, after I started my podcast, I was aware that some of the interviewers were uh, not really perhaps connecting with their uh, audience or their guests in a way that I thought might yield more interesting material. And um, I'm a psychotherapist, so I have maybe a little bit of a, I don't know if I want to call it, you know, more experience. I've been a psychotherapist for 30 years, but I interview a lot of people. So I, and at the same time, I have an adult son who was going through uh, some real trouble uh, with addiction. And I think for me, 
I wanted to throw myself into a project that I was interested in, but also really took my mind off some of the stuff that was happening with my son. And so it was a great distraction from what was going on in life. And I also was aware it was a real niche because I don't think there is another book specifically on podcast interviewing. So I thought, listen, I got a lot to say. <laughs> so that's kind of, it was kind of a combined um, uh, motivation. Well, you certainly took the time to learn the process yourself. So before you wrote the book, that that is always very important and, and the research needed for any book. Yes, yes. You know, after listening to my podcast, many of my author guests ask if they should create a podcast for themselves. What do you advise in the book about whether this is the path for someone? Well, I think you probably have your own opinions as well. What I would say is it has literally changed my life. I mean, I already loved my work. Um and my life wasn't bad, but, you know, being able to talk to people about things that I really care about and talking to people who, frankly, are so, you know, running with a crowd that I would never meet uh, ordinarily um, is I have so many pinch me moments that I can't. It's like a ba my baby. And I've seen people who talk about their podcast and we're both like, Oh, you know, you just love, love your podcast. Um, but what the other pieces and, and I'm sure you have had this experience. It is a lot of work and for every hour uh, or for every episode it's right. And I don't know how it is uh, for you, Julia, but it's about four hours to get things. Um, you know, it looks easy. Um, and, but there's a lot of background work. Uh, I would say, and, you know, people have different opinions, but I could not do this without an editor. Now, I'm also, I have a clinical practice, but I am not a detail-oriented gal. And doing all that editing and uploading into this and to that, I would be really not good at it. And I know what I'm good at. So my advice take it or leave it. Some people are great and they, but I would try to find an editor and someone who can assist you um, in doing the background work. Uh, would, would you agree with that, Julia? I absolutely do. You know, everybody thinks podcasting is like, I used to think about owning a restaurant. You know, I enjoyed having people in my home and I wanted to cook for them. So why not open a restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy. And, you know, in my book, I, I start off saying, you know, everyone now has a podcast and we sort of think that if we're good chatters and we're good hosts and we, you know, we can be kind of the life of the party that we're also going to be good podcasters. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, it's, you need that, but that's not all you need. Yeah. So I think that's a great analogy. And it does take a lot of time and a lot of money. And until you reach 
a lot of people and have a lot of subscribers, you can't monetize your podcast. So it does cost a lot of money if you hire a sound engineer. Sometimes I can pay $800 a month, you know, for the sound engineer to, to edit my podcast. And so I decided to take a course and I just had a course on editing my own podcast. And it is so difficult. I don't, I don't know how they do it, but it is so tedious and so oh, difficult. It's tedious. Yes. Oh my yes. gosh. Do you use audacity? Well, I was trying different programs, but I have decided they are well worth the money that they charge. <laughs> it's not fun no. because you're not listening to a conversation. Mm-hmm. You're listening to these choppy little you know, bits. Yes. And I think you really have to like detail oriented work. And that's not my, that's not my jam. <laughs> no, cutting out somebody's call for clearing <laughs> their throat. Is... <laughs> it's not as fun it's as not you, fun. you might think. No. Well, once you wrote this book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to use a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? I I hired a book coach and I self-published with her excellent guidance because I, I think I went into this pretty ignorant, like, Hey, I know I'm a good writer. I'm going to write this thing. It'll be fine. And again, much more complicated than I thought and detail oriented. And, you know, she's saying, well, I need a 15 word summary. I need a 30 word summary. I need a hundred. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know what? But she knows her business. And then I hired an editor um, and that was a humbling experience. (laughs) And so um, and then I, uh, and it's on, it's on Amazon and I've been able to talk about the subject with, uh, other podcasters in conferences. So they'll have me come on and talk to other podcasters. And, uh, because of COVID, you know, it's mostly been virtual, but I, I look forward to the time when I can travel and talk about what it's like to be, uh, you know, a podcast interviewer. Cause I just, it's just really fun. And it's become your calling card as well. You can take that and, and meet those people and speak to people at conferences. It really does open a lot of doors for you. You know, it's been a wonderful way, as you say, calling card. I uh, participate in the Senior Olympics. And so I've gone to Florida a couple times. I'm going to be going to Pittsburgh. I'm a tennis player, although last night you wouldn't know it because I was really not playing well. But, um, you know, I always have cards uh, with my podcast and how you reach me and all of this. And I give them out. Um in the most random times, like I have someone renovating my bathroom now and he's in his early sixties. And I can tell that, you know, he's the kind of guy who would like my interviews. I said, here's my card. I gave uh, a woman, I was in a thrift store and she was talking to me about how she loves to volunteer and why, and she plays the pipe organ. I thought, yep, you're my people. (laughs) 
And so, you know, I order them by the thousands and um, I keep them in, in my purse, in my tennis bag, when I'm walking the dog. I try not to be too pushy, like, hey, you know, listen to my podcast. But people seem to be open. Uh, they say, oh, yeah, I listen to podcasts or I have no idea how to listen to a podcast. And then I'll kind of uh, take them through the process. I find the exact same thing happens. And, and I think that that people will listen, but they don't want to click on that little button and subscribe. You ah. know, so we have a lot more listeners than we have subscribers, especially on YouTube. And I've talked to different people about that and they say, oh, yeah, I've got lots of podcasts saved on my devices. But you're right. I, I've never subscribed. <laughs> That's interesting. I don't have a huge YouTube following. Um, and I don't really, I mean, one of the concerns, I don't know if this has been an issue for you, but when you're dedicating your work to people 50 and over, um, sometimes they just aren't as computer savvy, right? So if you're trying to say, listen to my podcast, they sometimes they say, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, so that is a bit of a challenge. And that's why I've put my episodes on my website. They can go to my website yep. and click, click on an episode and listen there. Yeah, me, I do that as well. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit um, more about the passages you've brought to share today and then read a few paragraphs for us to hear your tone and voice in the book. Oh, okay. I'd love to. So it's really not a big book because it's just about, um, I mean, I certainly there are books about podcasting that are really big and some of them are wonderful and I've read, but I just, my expertise is the interview part. Um, and uh, I so, so I'll read um, a passage from chapter six, which is the anatomy of a great interview. The most important and often most demanding part of interviewing is deeply listening. Most of us think we are good listeners, but ask yourself this, when was the last time you had an uninterrupted, undistracted conversation for more than a few minutes? That kind of conversation has become so rare that a typical psychotherapy session can feel antiquated and a bit disorienting. In our distracted world, listening has become a thing of the past. It might be interesting to note how many times you feel heard and how many times you are giving your full attention while someone is speaking. So this is what I really try to do. And it's one of those things that is so simple, but it is really hard. And I am also guilty of it. Um, sometimes if a, a guest is going on and I am sort of losing my, you know, I'm thinking, okay, what am I, did I defrost something for dinner or like, you know, um, something like that. Uh, and one time, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this, I was checking my Facebook because it was just not, uh, I wasn't engaged. Um, so the to me, the most important part and also the most difficult and demanding part is to really be 100% focused on 
that moment and what you're doing. And the reason that's so important, well, there's many reasons because they can also sense that, but then you know exactly the next question to ask. You don't have to go on a script because it's obvious, you know, you're also listening for inflections. You're listening when your guests may kind of get upset or choked up and then you say, do I want to go further with that? Or is that something I feel like would not be respectful? So for me as a therapist, I'm always kind of trying to feel out, okay, where's the emotional impact or what what is going to help them go deeper? Because what I don't want is a bunch of sound bites. Uh, to me, there's nothing more frustrating and frankly, kind of boring. And so my, my hope is to get beyond um, just sort of the typical, you know, this is why I did it. This is, you know, that kind of thing. I had a guest once who was on TV a lot and um, I could not get underneath those sound bites. She just, it was like, she was so rehearsed and it was so slick and I tried, I'm usually pretty good at it, but that's rare. So I, I guess that's, you know, sort of the big takeaway and it's challenging um, for all of us who are, you know, we've learned to be distracted and it's, it's difficult, but I think it makes for a really different experience for your guest and your audience. Well, I think that listening is a lost art, not just on podcasting, but in real life. You know, I, I went on a trip with my grandchildren and I just watched those faces on those screens, you know, so I, I think that that's so important for all of us to to delve into those listening skills and to try to hone those a little better and to teach our grandchildren how to have a conversation at the table without a device nearby. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it, it's really had a, a, a huge impact on our culture and some impacts we don't even realize. I mean, they're doing some scanning of brains for teenagers who are on the screens and it's not it's not good. Even the people who develop these programs um, don't really let their kids stay on screens very long. So that, that tells you something. Do you Google yourself or read reviews? And if so, how do you deal with the bad ones or the good ones? That's a great question. Um, I don't Google myself. Um, I did, I got mostly, you know, positive reviews, but there was one review that just was so funny. She said something like her uh, voice is so annoying. I can't even listen. to it. <laughs> Not really. That's, you know, why would you bother? Just don't listen. Um, I haven't gotten that yet. I, I, I don't Google myself. I'm sort of in my own little bubble, I guess. And I just do what I love to do. And um, people seem to respond well to it. I get a lot of positive feedback from my guests and they say, well, that was a lot of fun or I've never been asked that before. And I say, yeah, I get that a lot. Uh, and that makes me really happy. Yeah. Do you have any other books in you? You know, I am so in love with doing this podcast and I'm 
my my hope is to be kind of the Terry Gross of healthy aging. I think more I'd be interested in um, having a show on either, uh, you know, on public radio or something like that. That I think that's my next big step in terms of the writing. Um, even though I love writing, I, I'm, I, I don't want to say no, but I think, um, I'm much more focused on how can I take this further and increase my listenership? Um, because these are really lovely conversations and they really bring an optimism to aging that challenges the, you know, the narrative of, of slowly decaying. And I think that's really important and I'd like to bring it to more people. So that's really where I'm focused right now. Well, I think that's very important to decide where we're going next with this, because, you know, the old podcast fade, they say is Uh, about after 10 episodes and you and I have certainly passed that long ago, but I'm going to have to get back to writing books instead of spending mm. all my time podcasting. <laughs> yeah. If you're doing four a week, I mean, my editor would, you know, have my neck if I was doing it, but sometimes I, you know, I was talking to a podcaster and we were joking. We're like, it's like crack cocaine. You just keep, you just, not that I know what that's like, but yeah. I just like love doing it so much that Uh, especially when they're people who have been formative in my education as a psychotherapist. And now I'm talking to them like Peggy Orenstein is a great example. She just, uh, I interviewed her um, on her last book of um, boys and sex. And now she wrote a book, uh, a memoir about aging. And, you know, I kind of grew up with her in grad school as a social critic and journalist and I, I'm like, we're chatting about yarn and it's intoxicating yeah. to me. It's just intoxicating. It really does energize you. You know, I think being on the podcast with someone, you're you're so concerned that you want to make them look good and you don't want to, you know, make the podcast something they would not be proud of. So you have to be real careful with that. So when I get off the podcast, I'm sweating bullets, you know, because I've been on point for so long, but, but I I think it does energize you. And that that's something that is a good combination with writing. If authors want to, to find a niche market, and you've certainly found the one for our audience because Mm -hmm. we're all over 50 Mm -hmm. and we're some of us far over 50. For sure. For sure. Um, It was interesting, though, you know, that is the bulk of my audience. But I was looking at my analytics and there were some 20 year olds and I thought, what what's happening here? And I think it was aspirational or like, what do I do about my mom or grandparents or whatever? But I was shocked to see that I have some millennials listening um, that you never know. Right. And I. I just imagine, you know, these interviews going out all over the world and how they might impact someone's life. I mean, you just never know. And it, it, it's something beautiful about that mystery to me. I agree. And I, I'm so proud that they would listen in. I think your podcast title, Zestful, makes us all want to be there because we all want some zest in our life. 
for sure. We're called the sandwich generation, you know, where we've Mm -hmm. still got younger children and we're caught between younger children and elderly parents. And so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of information that you have in your podcast that's so vital to all of us. Yeah. And one of the things I talk about in my book that I've alluded to, I don't invite people on that I'm not really fascinated with. I mean, you know, fortunately, I'm at the point I've been doing this for five years um, that, you know, I get solicitations. Some of them are really inappropriate. (laughs) I had a guy who kept saying, I want you to be on your show. I do mold remediation. And I thought, really? Because I'm pretty sure you'd have never listened to my podcast. Um, The zestful stuff is really, I think, important. And that's what it it really is all about. I mean, even the research supports trying new things, even though it's uncomfortable. Um, Really taking the opportunity to, uh, you know, it's a different stage of life. There's, there's losses, there's, there's certainly challenges, but walking that tight rope of also like, wow, you know, I'm not making lunches for my kid or going to PTA, whatever. Um, I have a little more time. I can travel um, now. Um, it, it opens up some possibilities that weren't there before. Well, my husband always says you're retired and yet you don't have any time to do any of those things. You know, you're sitting Mm. at your computer, either writing or podcasting. So Mm. come and Mm. let's go travel a little bit. (laughs) That's great. I mean, I think too, like, I, I'm like you where I would do four. I, I did in the beginning. I was just like four. Yeah. But I got such a long lineup for people to go up. I started feeling a little bit bad because they were like, when's my interview going up? Oh, six months, you know? And I thought that might've felt a little bit disrespectful. So I kind of had to push myself to take less, you know, less yeah. guests. Well, that's what I'm about to do. I'm going to just have two a week and launch two a week, but, but the backlog still pushes you out several months. So people do get a little anxious, but I've been on other podcasts where, you know, their length of time before you actually see your episode is, is pushed out several months. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. I, um, I usually have about now what I'm comfortable with is about 10 in the pipeline because what I try to do is, um, have a variation of ones that are difficult topics and ones that are fun topics. So I try to make that variation. So I always have enough that I can pick from, uh, to, to provide that. Yeah. Well, Nicole, as always, our last interview question is our writers over 50 are quite a unique set. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? I guess what I would say is to just really enjoy the process. And and it's, it's something that I felt very grateful to be able to do. And, and I, it was a joyful experience most of the time when it wasn't tedious. And I guess what I would say is, you know, really enjoy, enjoy the fact that, you know, 
even if you self-publish or whatever, I mean, yay for you to do this after 50, I think is something to be, it's a zestful thing to do. It's something to be proud of, even if, you know, the world never sees your book. I think it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing to do um, at this age when, when perhaps you have some wisdom and some uh, you, you can look back and say, what have I learned? You know, I, I, I guess I would hope that we would appreciate what we're bringing into the world. I certainly agree. And I think that's great advice. And we're just so excited to now count you and our authors over 50. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.